Can we pray and then get into tonight? Okay, that'd be good. Uh, Lord, uh, we love you. And uh, God, I'm just so thankful. Um, God, I'm so thankful for, for who you are, Jesus, and how much you, you love us. And God, as we sing these songs, and uh, Lord, as we just fix our eyes on you and our, our voices on you and our hearts on you, um, Lord, we just ask that you would receive our praise and that you would just have joy uh, because we love you, Jesus. And I pray that uh, tonight we'd bring a smile to your face. Uh, Lord, there are people in the room tonight who, uh, who need you. Uh, in fact, everybody in the room needs you tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet, meet each person very personally tonight. Um, God, I pray that you would reveal your true heart to us. Um, and Lord, as we're in this series of uh, Fight Club, of what it means to fight our sin, um, Jesus, I pray that you would teach us what it means to be wise. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would change our appetites, God, that you would transform our appetites, um, that your desires would become our desires. And Lord, as we talk about temptation tonight, Lord, I, I pray that you, uh, Lord, that you would help us flee temptation. And I pray that you would free us from the bondage of sin, Lord, that some of us really experience in the room, even coming in right now. And uh, Lord, we're asking that you would do something that is impossible, humanly speaking, but with you is possible. So Lord, we pray this, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> All right, so I've been praying for you guys for a long time. And, uh, and one of the things that I have on my, uh, I have a prayer card for 710, where I just kind of continually, as every day, um, I, I, I do my best to spend half an hour of my workday uh, just praying for you. And uh, one of the phrases that I feel like God has given me that just, like, keeps coming to mind over and over is he says, he keeps praying, like, Corey, um, I want you to pray that, that I would bring the mess to this ministry. And I was like, okay. And so literally, I'm not kidding, for probably three, four, five months, I've just been praying, like, Lord, bring the mess. Bring the mess. Bring the messy people. Bring the messy situation. Bring the things in our lives that are just, like, grabbing a hold of us that you can't seem to, like, let go. Like, just bring it, because I already don't know what I'm doing. And so, Lord, with you, I know that you can do it. And so I've just been praying that. So listen, I know many of you in the room are experiencing that. And I, I, I believe that many of you in the room who come in tonight, that you're, you would say, my life's messy. You could say my emotional health's messy. Decisions I've made have made life messy. Uh, and um, one of my favorite passages is uh, Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, it talks about how um, that, that God calls us to throw off every sin and weight that entangles us. And so that word entangled, listen, I know many of you come in the room and you're feeling entangled. I, I think that's a good imagery of, or a good way to put it. You feel, maybe some of you feel entangled uh, in sexual sin right now. Um, you've heard sermon after sermon. You've read article after article. Um, you've done everything that could, but you're just still entangled in sexual, sexual sin. That can, uh, you know, that can be pornography, that can be masturbation, but you're just entangled. I just, I can't get out. Some of you are entangled in anxiety. Um, it, doesn't, it seems like no matter how much I pray, uh, no matter how much I try to fix my thoughts on what's right, like anxiety is just entangling me. So some of you, that might be your experience coming in. Um, some of you uh, are entangled in doubt, uh, doubting who God is, doubting what God can do in your life. And no matter what you do, you feel like that, that, that doubt is there. Uh, some of you are coming in and you feel entangled in pride. Um, like, 
the Bible says consider others more important than yourself, and you just can't help but love yourself. <laughs> you know? You know, like, you're just like, why do I just love myself so much, you know? I have those moments all the time, like, Corey, you're ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> but that's a real thing. Like, we feel entangled in it. Um, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And, and here's, what I've, here's what I've realized, and tell me it's not true. How much, uh, how much have you realized that information and willpower has not actually produced change in you? Uh, as a pastor, and honestly, from personal experience, I have these moments all the time where people come to me, and I can tell they're sick of their sin, they feel entangled, and honestly, you don't even have to be a Christian to have that experience. Uh, you may not call it sin, you just may call it like a vice or something, but like, I just can't get out of this thing, and they'll sit down with me, and they're like, what do I do? And they look at me like, I'm going to say something that's going to unlock this magic thing, and if I give them the right piece of information, or the right piece of things from the Bible, all of it's going to go away, and it doesn't work. Um, there's times in my life where I just sit there, I'm like, all right, God, what do I need to know? So I'll search, I'll search uh, Desiring God, and I'll read articles on, like, you know, how do I get rid of my insecurity, or how do I get rid of my lust, and, and, I, and I read it, and I know all the stuff, and I'm, I'm getting to a point in my life right now where I realize I, can, I know all the stuff, and it still doesn't change. You guys ever have that experience? And here's, uh, here's the challenge with teaching the message I'm going to talk about tonight with temptation. Some of you are listening some of you are listening, and you are just waiting for me to say the thing, to give you that piece of information that's going to, like, just release you from this thing. And that's just not how it works. And here's why. I'm not kidding, and I've just been praying this the whole time. The only way to combat the temptation in your life is by having an encounter with the living God. I want to say that again. The only way that you can overcome the sin in your life and the temptation in your life is not another sermon. It's not another article. It's not another conversation. It's on your knees before the living God saying, God, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. And the reason I think that matters is because there's, I think there's a couple things that we, uh, that we think, we don't actually, there's a couple things that we just don't think about or don't think about well enough that I think kind of inhibit us as we kind of try to fight sin. One, um, I think some of us think that, like, sin is just a bad decision, or maybe you're n new to Christianity, and it's just like, all right, like, I just kind of, like, when I do something that God says not to do, that's called sin, I shouldn't do it, thank God he forgave me for that, but the Bible portrays sin, like, way more aggressively than that. Sin, uh, Harley, you can put this on the screen, sin is, isn't just a bad decision, but I really want you to get this, it's a living power. Uh, the Bible talks about it in, in, like, the language of, it's like a disease, it's like, it's as real as cancer. Like, like, just as real as cancer or disease, like, it's alive and it's living. Genesis uh, 4-7, uh, the Bible says this. It says, if you do not do what is right, sin, listen, I love this imagery, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, to own you, to be your master. But you must rule over it. And so, like, so, this, so I love this picture. So it's this idea that, that sin is this, this living power uh, it's crouching at your door, and it seeks to own you. And some of you in the room, like, right now, you go, oh, that's exactly what I feel like. Sin is owning me. Like, like, that's, like, actually the best way to put it. And, 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 and what, what God is telling um, us through the scriptures right now is, like, listen, if you don't rule sin, then sin will rule you. There's no other option in between. If you don't rule sin, sin will rule you. And sin isn't just, like, it doesn't just, like, force you to do things. But I was kind of thinking about this imagery. Uh, this is how sin does it. Sin, uh, sin takes you through 
uh, the hills of instant gratification and pleasure. So it like it guides you and it takes you on this journey and you're in this journey and there's instant gratification and there's pleasure. For you, it might be a relationship. Uh, it might be, uh, you know, sexual sin. It might be the, the kind of like feeling that you get from pride and just like thinking you're a big deal. And it takes you through this journey, but then it leads you into the land of death and absolutely destroys you. And so, so what, what the Bible is warning about right off the bat is, listen, like, it's not just more information. Sin is a power, and it wants to own you. And then there's a second level to this, especially in Western culture that we just don't talk about all the time. We don't talk about at all, but I am just hyper aware of it right now because of a few incidences that have happened and just reading the Bible and what it says. Um, but behind temptation is, and sin is satanic power. Now, um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't want to be weird, but it's like, Listen, Satan is not like the Emperor's New Groove. You guys seen that movie, Emperor's New Groove? You know the little angels on the shoulder? Uh, Satan is not like that. And um, we all know that. But I think a lot of times we wake up and we don't even give two thoughts to the fact that behind satanic power, or behind sin is satanic power. So I think about it this way. Sin lives inside of me. That's what the Bible says. And then there's this satanic power that's kind of, trying to flare up that inside of me so that it would destroy me. And then behind the world system is satanic power to kind of shape these kind of ways of thinking, these, these ways of behavior, these patterns, things you see on Instagram, and they shape you and form you. And behind all of that is satanic power. And not only that is it just there, but listen to this. The Bible says Satan's hunting you. I want to set that, I want to let that sit for a second. Have you thought about the fact that when you wake up, you're being hunted? By Satan himself. Verse Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this. Be alert, right? Wake up, pay attention, and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, uh, a real creature, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That word literally means like gulp you down. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And so this is what Satan does. He's, he's clever just like sin. He uses pain and pleasure. He uses pain and pleasure, and he seeks to devour you. Every day you wake up, and you're being hunted. But here's the thing. This is what the Bible says. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13 says this. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So some of you in the room right now, you're standing strong. You feel like you got your act together. And then the Bible warns, hey, be careful. Be careful not to fall. Watch out. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, which is good news to a lot of you in the room who feel like you're the only one that struggles with your temptations. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And so what, what this scripture is saying that is that when temptation arrives at your front door, God will always provide a way out the back door. Does that make sense? When temptation arrives at the front door, God will always provide a way out the back door. Now, one last thing before we get into the story that we're going to talk about. This is when I was kind of thinking about culture, self-help, kind of like becoming the better version of yourself, that you might hear that in the world. The Bible talks about it as transformation into the image of Christ. Uh, when I look at the world, I go, the world has wisdom but lacks power, right? So, like, they, they have wisdom, God, in his grace, generally. Uh, it's called general grace. He, 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 he gives grace to his world. And um, there's, like, this wisdom uh, that the world does have, 
to actually like change, but they lack the power of the Holy Spirit to actually do it. Right? So you get these books about self-help, and it has great wisdom. All wisdom is God's wisdom, so we don't have to freak out if it's an unbeliever who writes something, because all wisdom is God's wisdom. But they don't have the power to actually change. What I see in the church, and I think this is really important, and I really, guys, this is going to kind of send us into the story we're going to talk about tonight. What I see in the church is um, we have the power to change, but we don't actually engage the wisdom the Bible gives to change. Does that make sense? So the world has wisdom, but they lack power. We have power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the living God lives inside of you if you're a Christian. But then the, the Bible actually gives wisdom of how to actually walk the path of righteousness, to actually, like the Bible actually gives us wisdom to how to change, but we don't actually apply the wisdom, so we have the power, but without the wisdom, nothing happens. Does that make sense? And so, um, and so we're going to look at a story tonight, and we're going to look at wisdom and what God teaches us about temptation and how do we respond to it. Sound good? All right. Open up your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 39, uh, verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bible uh, on your phone, I'm going to be looking uh, at the NIV translation. Um, all right, so if you've been raised in the church, this, you're probably going to know the story. This is uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And uh, if you're not um, familiar with the Bible or if you're not familiar with uh, the Old Testament or this part of Scripture, a little bit of context. So the, the nation of Israel is, um, is uh, in the kind of like a land near uh, Egypt. And um, Jacob, he's kind of like one of the, like the big... The, we use the word patriarchs, but he's kind of like one of the fathers of the faith of Israel. You could say it that way. So Jacob's name actually was changed to Israel. So if you're wondering where the nation of Israel came from, uh, Jacob is the man. So Jacob had 12 sons, and uh, one of his youngest or his youngest son was named Joseph. And um, there's a whole lot going on before this story even happens. But long story short, uh, Joseph has 12 brothers, and they all get super jealous of him because Jacob favors Joseph. And so uh, because of their jealousy, they decide to kill him. Um, but then one of the brothers speaks up and goes, hey, we probably shouldn't kill our brother. You know, that's not a good idea. Let's just sell him into slavery. And so uh, they, again, a lot of events happen. They end up selling him into slavery. Uh, so Joseph ends up in Egypt, and he's a slave uh, in the Egyptian uh, household. And so that's where we pick up in Genesis 39, verse 1. This is what the passage says. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Again, because he was sold there. Uh, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. So he's like a big deal, like ar arguably like second in charge of Egypt. Uh, so the captain of the guard uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Uh, the Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph sent away, but the Lord is with him so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Right. So can you imagine, uh, just so you know, Joseph is probably like 27 years old right now. And so he's a seven tenor, and he gets sold into slavery, and uh, our fellow seven tenor is in Egypt in Potiphar's household. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So Joseph does such a good job, and the Lord is so with him that everything that Joseph puts his hand to flourishes. And so Potiphar's like, listen, I got to put him in charge of everything I own because this guy works really hard. There should be a lesson about how we work, but that's not tonight's message. Anyways, verse 5. From the time he put him in charge of his household, 
and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptians because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, I love this, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now imagine if you were Potiphar, that's a sweet gig, right? So Joseph comes in, I don't even have to take care of anything except the food I ate because this guy is just so faithful. All right, here we go. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. So ladies, if you showed up to 710, Joseph would be your guy. Like this is, this is why you come to 710, Joseph's there, right? So Joseph was well built and handsome. Uh, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, and then she says this, come to bed with me. All right, so uh, Joseph is there. She notices that he's well-built and handsome, and she goes, hey, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. And then uh, fast forward a little bit. One day, uh, Joseph uh, was in the house. He went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. And so she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to look at this story, and we're, gonna answer, we're, we're literally just going to answer two questions. One, uh, how does temptation work? And so in Potiphar's wife, we get a picture of how actually temptation works, and it's actually brilliant. All the details in the story is going to be super helpful, uh, and we're going to see in Potiphar's wife, this is how temptation works, and then, uh, then we're going to look at Joseph, and we're going to see how we're supposed to respond to temptation. And again, uh, this is the wisdom that God gives us through his scriptures, and so that's what we're going to unlock right now. So how does, tem how does temptation work? Uh, when temptation arrives at your, at your front door, and here's the first thing, and I would really encourage you guys to take notes about this or write it down because this is what you can kind of reflect on later in your prayer time with the Lord. Uh, the first thing that we see about temptation is that uh, temptation knows what door to knock on. Um, have you ever noticed that what someone else struggles with, you don't struggle with at all? But that thing that you struggle with, somebody else goes, I don't even know, understand why you struggle with that at all. Um, there's something about uh, Satan and how he works is he is not dumb. And the Bible says that he's scheming against you. And uh, he knows what door to knock on to get you off your horse, so to speak. And, and, and it, it's honestly like, look at the story. It's, it's pretty obvious because it's what the temptation is for Joseph. Now think about it. Joseph is a 27-year-old single unmarried man uh, away from home. Uh, 27 year old dude you think you have a lot of sexual desire at that age a ton of sexual desire um, and now think about Potiphar's wife Potiphar's wife wasn't going to be like one of those people who are like oh Potiphar noticed her and like hey they went on some dates you know you know, didn't work out for a little bit but then they kind of worked on it and they got married like like no Potiphar how it worked and it wasn't great but how it worked in the ancient culture 
was that uh, you would go and pick your wife. And so if Potiphar is high in charge, that means he kind of looked all throughout the land of Egypt. And uh, Egypt's finest was there, and he picked her. And so right, right in this moment, uh, God has Joseph in a very specific place for a very specific reason. And so what does Satan do? He puts a beautiful woman right in front of him. And not just a beautiful woman, but he puts a beautiful woman who says, hey, come to bed with me. And this is what Satan does in our lives, too. It's kind of like, um, have you ever noticed, uh, I think of like Instagram algorithms. The more that you kind of engage with it, the more that you get that feed to you. Does that make sense? The more you engage with it, the more you get that feed to you. Or like if you're going fishing and you're trying to catch this type of fish and it takes this type of bait, you throw that type of bait into the water. You don't throw that because that's not what's going to happen. And so what right off the bat, what we learn about is, I just want to ask you the question, do you know what door in your life the enemy is knocking on? Do you know when temptation comes your way, what door most likely temptation is going to knock on? Because listen, when, when temptation knocks on that door, and when you know that's the door it knocks on, it helps you identify it as soon as it comes up. Does that make sense? So temptation knows what door to knock on. The second thing that we see in this story, uh, and this is really fascinating to me, is that temptation, uh, it preys on your fear. Temptation preys on your fear. Now, this is, uh, this is shown in who tempts Joseph and how, how the enemy uses the, the right person to tempt Joseph. Uh, not only was this temptation probably um, appetizing for, uh, for Joseph, but it also would have been packaged with fear. Think about it. Potiphar's wife is Joseph's boss. She has power over him. She has the ability to say, go or stay. She has authority over him, humanly speaking. So to, to obey her and to give in to this temptation that actually seemed probably like it would be pleasurable, uh, it, it would bring security to him. To disobey her would actually ruin his circumstances. And so this is exactly what temptation will do in your life. It'll take that thing that you're afraid of, and it will use fear to ma manipulate you into disobedience. For example, temptation may say, hey, um, you don't want to be that person, do you? Like in that group of friends, you don't want to be that person. Just have a drink. Like, don't you want them to like you? Or like, hey, I know, I know they gossip, and uh, like that's kind of the norm, but like, you don't want to be that person. You don't want them to think about you that way. Um, so just do it. So it'll prey on your fear of being left out so that you would engage. Or, uh, or here's another example. Hey, um, you know if you don't sleep with him, he'll break up with you. And then you'll be all alone. I mean, you're already in your 20s. And uh, if, you break up with, if you break up with him, who's, I mean, like, you're going to be single for into your 30s now. Right? So, so temptation will use your fear to manipulate you. Or, or for example, it will say, hey, um, you can't do what God's asking you to do. What if he doesn't come through? What if he doesn't come through? See, some of you know exactly what God is asking you to do. So what do you think temptation is going to do? It's going to use your fear to not do what God is asking you to do. Does that make sense? So we see temptation knows what door to knock on. Uh, temptation preys on your fear. Um, the third thing that we see is that temptation patiently waits for the opportune uh, time. This was really interesting to me. Uh, did you ever notice that it said Potiphar's wife 
uh, it, she waited till Joseph was all alone. Um, how many of you have made massive failures when you were alone by yourself with no accountability or no person there? It's like, have you ever noticed this? You're with people, it's having a great time, and then you get by yourself, and you're like, all of a sudden, a temptation out of nowhere comes, a thought out of nowhere comes, and you're like, of course this is happening right now with me in this place. Me with these people, me when this alone. And I think about it this way. If Satan, um, if scripture says Satan is, is, is like a lion seeking to devour you, let's just use that image for a second. Um, lions, when they hunt wildebeest, um, what do they do? They hide in the bushes and they watch for, for all day sometimes. They watch all day and then they wait for the wildebeest that kind of gets away from the group and the community. And then, you know, it gets a little farther, then it gets distracted with other things, you know, the wildebeest is scrolling on Instagram, you know, whatever they do. But then what does the lion do? Then all of a sudden the wildebeest isn't paying attention, boom, pounces, done. And that's what you, exactly what you see here. Joseph is all alone, and then she comes and sneaks in. So for me, um, I'll just be really honest with you. One of the most helpful things for me in fighting uh, sin, and I'll use, uh, since we're talking a, a story about lust, I'll use an example about lust. Um, I've learned <coughs> pretty, uh, yeah, pretty well over the past kind of six years of my life that being al- home alone uh, with no accountability, with uh, open access on my laptop is probably one of the worst things that you could do, that I could do. And so, um, and that's when Satan has got me. I'm like, I just had a long week. Uh, I did the Lord's work, and then I'm home alone. And, it's, and, and I just realized one of the things that God has taught me is, listen, I spend all of my Fridays, and I, and I, I do not stay at home. Because I know that's, 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 that's the place where temptation is going to come right for me. And so what do I do? I, I, I remove Fridays being at home. But for you, it might be something else. Uh, it may not be when you're alone. You might be fine. It might be when you're stressed. Well, you know when that stress comes, what starts to happen? The lion starts to come because you can see you're in a vulnerable state. It might be uh, with your when, the, when you're with the wrong group of friends. When you're by yourself, you're not going to make that choice. But when you're with that friends, the lion comes and starts to stalk because he knows, she knows, temptation knows that's a bad place for you to be. It might be when you're lonely. Have you ever had that? Like, man, I'm just feeling really lonely. So what is the lions? Oh, they're lonely. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and I'm going to get them. It might be when you're bored. Um, but temptation waits for the opportune time. The second thing that's actually, uh, it's not just uh, like vulnerable moments, but it's actually on high moments. Notice Joseph's strongest temptation came after he just got, he just, like literally at the beginning of this passage, all these things that God had provided for him. Right? God is showing favor. God's blessing him. He's giving him promotion. And then it's right after the peak of success that, tem- that temptation comes. Have you ever noticed this? You could have a, like, you can come in here, you can worship the Lord, you can be, like, so filled with the Spirit, and then you leave and you go do that stupid thing. Have you ever had that before? Like, how did I go from worshiping Jesus and watching the people of God to go and look at pornography an hour later? How does that happen? Or uh, let's just say God does something really radical for you. Right? Like you just had this incredible opportunity. Um, God uses you. God speaks to you. You're just so excited. 
Then Satan goes, oh, he's letting his guard down. He's letting his guard down. He starts to pray, and he pounces and attacks. And so what we learn is when you're alone, when you're in that vulnerable place, be careful of the lions coming. And then when you're, just, when, you're at, when you're at ease and life is good, and the enemy is just waiting right around the corner. Temptation always patiently waits for the opportune time. The last thing uh, that we see uh, is that temptation will strike repeatedly to wear you down. Uh, in verse 10, it says that, um, that Potiphar's wife came. Did you notice that? It said it came, it came after Joseph day after day. Day after day. Hey, come to bed with me. No, I'm good. Hey, come to bed with me. No, I'm good. Hey, come to bed with me. No, I'm good. Hey, come to bed with me. No, I'm good. Right? Day after day, temptation comes. Um, and here's why. If you're a boxer, I'm not a boxer, but I'm going to pretend like I am. If you're a boxer, one thing I do know uh, is that what they teach you to do is to strike little jabs that you know won't get through. But you do little jabs because why? Because you do 10 jabs and then the opponent gets tired and starts to let the guard down and then knock out. So this is what happens. This is what temptation does. Have you ever noticed in one day you're like, how in the world are all these little temptations coming, right? It could be a thought. It could be a substance. It could be whatever, right? But you just go like all of a sudden little jabs all day. Um, it was funny. I was flying to, um, I was flying to uh, Florida, like I said, and, um, <coughs> you know, for whatever reason, like, trips for me have just never been good for my mind. Like, I just feel like I, if I leave my, like, normal pattern rhythm of life, like, my mind can just be filled with thoughts that are unhealthy, ungodly, insecure, or whatever it might be. But it was interesting. I get on the plane, and the person sitting next to me, what they're watching, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm like this. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, please. Like, you got to help me right now. But then I get off the plane, and there's, like, this image. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm like, I, I have to like, close my eyes. And, like, but you notice, like, the enemy has that little thought. It shows you that image. It, it shows you, that, like, it gives you that uh, situation that makes you, that kind of triggers you to have that thing. Because what temptation does, like a good boxer, what Satan does, he's like, he'll give you a little jab. He's like, I know you're not going to bite on that one. I'll give you another jab. I know you're not going to bite on that one. I'm going to give you another jab. I know you're going to bite on that one. But by the end of the day, or by the end of the whole weekend, you're like, I'm just too tired. Boom. Does it not happen? You guys are like, no, that doesn't happen. That's just you, Corey. <laughs> Though that's what happens. That's what temptation does. <clears throat> it's sneaky. Um. And the reason I share these things with you is, one, when I was in football, uh, we'd watch the opponent's film. Why? Because you know what strategies they'd use against you. So that when the strategies come, you knew how to attack. And so in the same way, the Bible gives us wisdom like this to teach us about temptation so that when these temptations come, when, when you know the strategy ahead of time, when you see the little jab, the jab, when you, when you know that you're in that vulnerable place, you're like, oh, I know what's happening right here. And then, then at that point, God says, start getting on your knees. Does that make sense? All right, let's look at how, how we respond to our temptation. So when temptation comes to our front door, uh, we learn that God always provides a way out the back door. And so let's, let's, uh, let's learn from Joseph here. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that we see that Joseph does to battle his temptation, and so again, I just want to encourage you to filter this through your own temptation. You know what that is. I don't. Uh, is one that we tell the temptation all that God has given us. So we verbalize to the temptation all that God has uh, given you. And so 
Uh, do you notice how Joseph, as soon as uh, Potiphar's wife says, hey, come to bed with me, what does he do? He tells her, listen, this is all that I've been given. I've been raised up to this position. God has, God has blessed me. I've been given everything in the kingdom in my household except you and you're his wife. I can't do that. And so this is what temptation does. Temptation will, will always tell you what you don't have to breed discontentment and entitlement so that you will give in to the temptation. Temptation will always tell you what you don't have to give in to the, so that you would, it, so that it'll breed discontentment and entitlement in, in you. So for example, uh, I'm just going to continue on, the, on, this, uh, on this journey. I really mean this. This is super powerful. Um, in the moments where I, in the last week, where lustful thoughts have come to my mind, um, and I knew I was preparing for this message, and I was thinking about this point right here, I will literally stop, and I'll just go like, God, I am so thankful for my life. I'm, like, God, I get to be a father. Um, God, I don't even deserve this. And when you start giving thanks, you start to realize that everything that in, you, in your life that you have is a gift that you don't deserve. Like, literally, everything that you have in your life is a gift that you don't deserve. And when you realize that everything is a gift, you don't feel entitled to everything. And it takes away the power of temptation that says, hey, you know, like, you deserve that position. You deserve that position. And then it starts feeding your pride, tempting your pride. And you go, God, everything that I get to do, my job, pastoring 710, it's a gift. If I get to do it one more day, I praise you. If I get to do it 10 more years, I thank you. And so what, what, what Joseph teaches us here and what God's wisdom shows us is that you go, you just, you battle your temptation. You name it, I'm telling you, verbalize it out loud. Don't say it in your mind. And just the very thing that, that Satan wants to go, hey, be discontent about that, you just start giving thanks. And, and it gives you power over your temptation. And that's what we see Joseph do. The second thing that we see, um, actually, I want to say one more thing about that. Joseph is verbalizing everything that he, that he was thankful for. Have you ever thought, Joseph's in slavery, Joseph could have said, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm away. I'm homeless. I'm, like, I'm away from my family. Where's God in all this? God's not good. I'm here in this, like, he's like, and how am I supposed to find a wife? I'm 27. Typically, Jewish men are married by now. How am I supposed to find one in Egypt? We're not even supposed to marry Egyptian. He could have done all that cycle that we do in our head. And says, you know what? Yeah, I, you know what? I will have a little bit of pleasure. Yes, Potiphar's wife, I'll go to bed with you. But he doesn't. He just, he recounts God's faithfulness. It's a powerful thing. All right, let's move on. Uh, the, the second thing that we see is that we name the temptation for what it is. Um, in verse 9, did you notice Joseph responds by saying, so he first tells the temptation uh, all that he's thankful for, but then he goes, how could I do such a wicked thing against God? He names it. He goes, no, what you're telling me to do is wicked, and it's against God. And this is why this, this matters. We rename sin to make it less of a big deal. Do we not? And when you, when you name sin something else than wickedness for what it is, it makes it not a big deal, and therefore I don't really have a reason to change. Does that make sense? So, for example, in my life, um, the insecurity, like I'll name pride in my life insecurity. Like I'm just really struggling with insecurity. And you're like, oh, man, I'm so sorry about that. I know underneath all of it is just pride. And I care about myself a lot. And so I'll name it insecurity, but it's really pride and it's wickedness. So it gives me a pass on this one, but this one means I actually need to deal with it, if that makes sense. But we do this all the time. Uh, we call pride self-esteem, you know. 
Like, we just like to do that. Like, I just, you know, I just really have a lot of self-esteem. It's like, no, you're just prideful, you know. Uh, we call coveting improving yourself or getting ahead or preparing for the future, right? Like, it's coveting. You know in your heart, you just, it's coveting. And we just say, no, I'm just improving myself. Uh, we call gossip venting or sharing hurts. You know, it's like, man, I just got to get this off my chest. And it, it's really just wickedness and pride and gossip. Um, the best, the, man, I've been really good at this one. Uh, self-interested money managing, right? Hoarding money, and I call it financial wisdom. Preparing for the future. I mean, you know, like, if I don't do this, like, I got to be wise. And God's just like, no, you're just, you're just hoarding all that I've given you to steward. Um, or, you know, guys, I'll say this, even though lust is not just a guy thing. We're like, yeah, I just struggle with lust. It's a guy thing, you know. Like, no, it's a wicked thing. Got to stop. Um, and I don't say that to speak shame, and I don't, I don't speak that to embarrass you. I say that because calling sin what it is, which is wickedness, it frees us from the unhealthy, paralyzing mindsets that keep us stuck there. When you name sin what it is, like, all right, God, this is wickedness, now you're in the place to actually, like, start to receive the change, because you're, you're actually agreeing with God. We don't need to rename sin, God's already named it. So you're free to call it what it is, and he'll still receive you and love you and forgive you anyway, okay? Uh, third, um, we see uh, that we battle temptation by removing ourselves from the place of temptation. Uh, verse 10, uh, I love this. I actually want to read it because it was so good. It stood out to me. And she spoke to Joseph day after day, right? And so he refused to go to bed with her, Um and then look, look what, it, what he says. He goes, or even to be with her. So not only does he just, he's not just content with saying no, but he's, he's refusing to even be with her. Um, let's just be honest. We often do the opposite, don't we? We keep our temptations, like, really close. Like a dog. You know, it's like, we'll just feed it here and there. But, like, we'll just keep it close. Uh, Joseph says, listen, I refuse to even be with you. Like, I'm not, I refuse to even be with you. I'm not just content with saying no. I just have to get away. And, uh, and let's just be honest. I'm just, I, I just feel like because I love you guys, I, I have to be really honest. And this is how God changed me. <clears throat> when you, uh, if you're on Instagram and the explore page is a stumbling block for you, the amount of uh, guys in particular, typically girls don't trust their sin team, which is good. Um, um, but I talk to a lot of guys, and they're like, man, the Instagram explore page, just like, dude, that's just like, yeah, that just kind of triggers me. I end up looking at pornography all the time. And I'm like, dude, just, like, delete Instagram, you know? Um, I, so when I was a 